Welcome to Fantasy Sports Daily with Kyle L. Frank and Ray Flowers, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to use the promo code FSD20 for a 20% discount on the products over at FantasyGuru.com. It's game time right here at Fantasy Sports Daily, powered by FantasyGuru.com. I am Kyle Alfrink. He is Ray Flowers, and that is a version of Ray Flowers you don't normally see, a version uh, celebrating the NFL and reminding you how great and powerful the league is and reminding you that we are just, what, uh, three days away from the big game in Las Vegas. Look at you, Ray. You're jumping on board the Roger Goodell train. Trying, Kyle. You know, we have the, the rule here where I have to have a new background photo every uh, every day and trying to keep that dream alive, that streak alive. And I'm only going to have two more football shots for months. Uh, I got my fingers crossed. I don't have to have something crazy, you know, in August or April or something like that. So I, I'm playing the role today, Kyle, playing the role. Uh, did, did you notice earlier in the week, uh, Roger Goodell had his, um, his Super Bowl press conference that he does every year, his like state of the union, if you will, um, which always has been on the Friday before the game. And then I think like with COVID, they moved it like a Thursday or so. They kind of switched it up a bit with COVID. Ray, they've now moved it to a Monday, which here, here's the reason why. It's because none of the media is there yet. It, it's so he doesn't have to face questions right. from a national content. The only media there is like the, the beat writers and columnists for the teams. Like, they arrive early for, like, San Francisco and Kansas City. Right. Um, and then I also think they didn't even tell the NFL media that this was going to be on a Monday until, like, last Thursday or Wednesday after travel plans had already been made. Mm -hmm. right? So he's an evil man, that Roger Goodell. Uh, avoiding the, the heat of the kitchen, if you will. Yeah, I'm trying to remember last year when we went down and covered the Super Bowl for Sirius. We were down in Arizona. We were, you know, Jeff a man, Sandra, uh, Nello and Phil Backer and myself. I think we did Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Like you're saying, like we, I, maybe it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but we didn't, we we're certainly weren't there on Monday. Uh, and that's, I think pretty standard people come in mm -hmm. midweek for the game and, uh, you know, may, maybe we're creating conspiracy theory that doesn't exist, but I tend to agree with what you just said there. No, it, it, he also held it in the Raiders locker room. It used to be in a giant, you know, massive meeting hall. No, this, this he's he's avoiding the questions, right? That's what he's doing. That's hey, it's his prerogative. He's the boss. I guess he gets to do that. Um, we will not avoid any questions. If you've got questions today or any day here on Fantasy Sports Daily, by all means, shoot them our way. Uh, whether you're on the YouTube page, X, Facebook, however you're consuming us. Uh, we are always willing to answer any questions, comments that you got that pertain to what we're talking about. Send them our direction. In terms of what we have for today, well, yes, indeed, it is Super Bowl 58. It is getting closer. Uh, we are starting to uh, get a little excited, I guess, for this big game. Uh, we will continue our breakdown of some of the matchups to follow. Today, we're talking about Brock Purdy against the Kansas City Pass Rush. Uh, could be a big topic of discussion coming out of that game if one side or the other kind of handles the pressure. Uh, we'll hit some over-unders on pass catchers. Uh, th this is uh, – it's a fun couple of teams, Ray, because you've got Kelsey, who's the man on Kansas City. Um, and then after that, you know, Rasheed Rice is maybe good for four or five catches. And then it's a wild, wild west, which for a wagerer makes it kind of fun. You know, who's going to be the third guy to maybe emerge? On the San Francisco side, Ray, it's like there's really no true Kelsey. You have like four guys who could lead this team in receptions. You've got Samuel, you've got Ayuk, you've got McCaffrey, you've got Kittle. So they're, they're two different teams. Obviously, they're both great offenses, but two different teams that have different approaches when throwing the football. Yeah, and it's it'll be fascinating to see how this goes because in theory, if your defense is, is good enough and you scheme well enough, you should be able to have more success against the team that's got the sharper point, right? Because uh, you only have to focus technically on a couple of guys, whereas the Niners do present more options, you would think, for, for the, the Chiefs to handle. But that's a big one here. Uh, people trying to figure, especially the prop market and everything, are we going over to the 70 yards with Kelsey? Are we going over yeah. the six and a half catches with Kelsey? Is he going to have some huge game? Is he going to have a moderate game? Who on the Niners is going to pop, right? We're going to get 18-plus touches for Christian McCaffrey. Then what happens? We'll get into it. Yeah, and probably one of those four guys on San Francisco, who are all big names, uh, will come up short. 
you know, very rarely do you have all four guys, you know, hitting four or five catches a game. Um, and when you look at the over-unders, that's kind of what you're dealing with. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Kansas City may actually get a pass catcher returning for this week. Um, I don't know if it's one that will matter, but we will tell you about it coming up. And we'll uh, get into the world of baseball. Uh, second base is the topic that we are covering today. Positional versatility is a true hallmark of this position. Uh, we will spotlight a few guys who are, A, pretty good players, but also give you a lot of options as to where to use them. Second base has loads of those guys in the top 20 top 25. So we'll profile a few of those. We'll talk ABA yesterday when we were discussing SWIP. Ray uh, kind of referenced that ABA was up next on the docket. So uh, we'll hit that category. Vlad Jr. is a winner, at least for a day. Gary Sanchez is a winner, at least for a day. And Pete Alonzo may not be a winner for a while. Uh, we'll get to all of that coming up over the next hour. We were set to talk some fantasy Premier League with Ani Sridhar. You see that at the bottom, but uh, conflicts and schedules. And Ani's doing a lot of stuff with uh, the Super Bowl, Sirius XM, and all that. So we'll, we'll we'll bail on Ani today. Chance that we get him tomorrow on the show. So if you're looking for FPL, uh, come back on Friday. Uh, speaking of coming back, Ray, we are always welcoming people back to Fantasy Guru. We are always welcoming people for the first time to Fantasy Guru. And as always... There are uh, easy avenues to getting in with fantasyguru.com, right? There are. Obviously, youtube.com slash at Elite Plus Network to watch the show. Uh, we're on Pandora, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. If you want to listen to this show, we also post the show, Fantasy Sports Daily, at fantasyguru.com. All that's free. Now, if you want to get more in-depth, if you want to start reading articles, get access to the Discord, you know, start having some fun in there with the chat rooms and all that, then you want to use the promo code FSD20. That's FSD20. Fantasy Sport Daily. Uh, that gets you a twenty percent discount on the on all the products. Whether you want to get involved with the you know EPL, if you want to get involved with racing, if you want to get involved with NBA, and if you want to get involved with baseball, so it's promo code FSD two zero. Use that right now. You can get that uh, discount on the early bird pricing for baseball. That gets you the entire season, all the way to the World Series, for forty bucks. So that's available right now. And then for nineteen ninety nine, you also have the football package right now. It's the all in football package that gets you. Everything this week, it gets you seasonal football, DFS football, the bet, Super Bowl betting guide, off-season franchise mode as we kind of look toward the draft itself. That's available as well. And uh, Little Birdie told me there might even be a little bit of a discount coming on the old basketball product. So stay tuned for that over at FantasyGuru.com. Okay, so things are happening, no doubt, as we get ready for this uh, Super Bowl weekend. And get ready, believe it or not, uh, what pitchers and catchers, Ray, is it like 10 days? Probably yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we're getting closer, and uh, everybody's a little different with that date. But uh, exciting times, even though it's it's a little slow right now. Still plenty of things to prep for. Uh, we are prepping for the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday, 6.30. That kickoff, by the way, if you did not know. Uh, CBS will have the broadcast. Um, trying to think of any other things that are important. Um, Tony Romo will be there. <laughs> that's important. Yeah, that's important. I, I guess it's important. I can't stand Tony Romo, but that's for another day. Um, Taylor Swift will be there. Mm -hmm. um, she got a new record coming out, by the way. I don't know if you uh, a record. I shouldn't say that. She's got a new set of songs coming out. <laughs> like the record, though. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Old, she got old. a new record. Uh, Usher will be there for halftime. Um, is any of this exciting to you, Ray? Any of it? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm. I think I'm like most people that I I have the Super Bowl show on, and I'm kind of you know, but no. I mean, it's, you know, the, the halftime stuff. Now, when you'll sit and watch the Usher. You're, you're not one of those people who walks out of the room and no, you know, I'll, out for a Yeah, I'll sit around. Or if I walk into the kitchen, you know, I'll turn the stereo up so we can yeah. hear it. You know, that kind of thing. I'll probably watch it, but it's not yeah. must-see TV for me. Yeah, I don't think it is either. I'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, awesome dance moves. He's a, he's a good dancer. I know that. Which I've always thought, I mean, Ray, he's got to be in his 40s, I'm guessing, right, Usher? Maybe upper 30s, I, I would think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's always the struggle as you age in, in this profession, the pop market. How yeah. old is he? He's How 45. Uh, yeah, so he's my age. Ray, if I was moving around like Usher's <laughs> going to move around on Sunday, yeah. woo, A, it would be ugly as hell, and B, <laughs> we'd be going to the doctor on Sunday night. Well, he's an elite athlete, Kyle. He's a performer. I remember him doing Singing in the Rain after Gene Kelly, and like you said, that's so, yeah, we'll see what he has to do, but he's not going to stand there and yell into a microphone the whole time. Yeah, right yeah, he's going to be he's gonna be gassed at the end of, of 12, 15 minutes, however long it runs. He'll be sweating up a storm there uh, in Vegas. Uh, as for the game, 
which uh, we can give you a little more insight on. Uh, each and every day this week, we've been kind of spotlighting a certain portion of the game. Yesterday, we talked about kind of this 49ers defense and kind of the pressure of getting to Patrick Mahomes and trying to get those sacks and kind of the matchup with the O-line, the, the San Francisco front four against that Kansas City O-line. Today, Ray will flip it um, to the Kansas City defense versus the San Francisco offense um, when Brock Purdy is passing. And I thought this was worth touching on today. Because both these teams, um, well, I should say one team likes to do something that might play into the hands of the other team. Kansas City's defense under uh, D coordinator Steve Spagnolo, which anytime as a St. Louis person, when I say Steve Spagnolo, you almost have to chuckle because uh, Steve was a disaster here in St. Louis. I, I think, Ray, you, you need, I think he went six and 42. In his three years. <laughs> look that up as you're talking. Or they had a three-year run. I don't know if Spags was there for the whole three-year run, but it was like six and 42. It was really, really dreadful. Um, and, of course, Spagnolo had that great run as a D coordinator with the Giants. They won that Super Bowl against New England. He immediately got the job in St. Louis, failed and fell on his face. And now, Ray, he's rebounding. I mean, Speak Spagnolo is one of those guys, Ray, who has uh, rediscovered um, his ability as a coordinator. He will never get another NFL head coaching job. It was so bad. It was so awful. But he'll always have a D coordinator job, especially with what, what he's done with this Kansas City defense, Ray, has been pretty impressive over the last three or four years. Agreed. And, you know, there, sometimes you get a shot and it doesn't work, but what do you do then, right? Do you cower or do you figure it out? And he's figured it out and he's got a role. And like you said, he'll be around past Andy Reid, it seems at this point. Uh, he went seven and nine one year as a head coach, Kyle. Okay. So had, well, you know, maybe it was part of a okay. three year run with them. He did also go two and 14 and one and 15. So okay. three victories. Well, what about, in two it must have been that was the following year, like a three and 13. And so they went like six and 42 or something. He went, one, he went one and 15, seven and nine, two and 14, which okay. is. Pretty impossible to be horrid. All okay, <laughs> horrid. So okay. yeah. I, I guess I was a little rough on Spagnolo. He, he went ten and thirty-eight, Kyle, with the ten and thirty-eight. Okay, I was yeah. rough. I, I I shorted him four wins. You did. That's, that's what I did. So he went, he went I am him credit for the defense. Okay, I, I okay. will give him credit for that. You gave him credit for rebounding. Again, no. it isn't always easy. And no. and like I said. Go back three, four years ago. This defense was not good in Kansas City. This was a team that had to outscore you. That situation has changed. It's changed a lot. This defense is actually one of the better units in the NFL. And specific to this matchup, Ray, they like to blitz. Um, mm -hmm. Kansas City, uh, in terms of blitz numbers, fifth most in terms of blitzing in the NFL. I bring this up, Ray, because Brock Purdy is just about the best quarterback in the entire NFL against the blitz uh he is averaging over 10 yards a throw against the blitz which is notable because you're not supposed to be able, able to throw it that far down the field when you're getting blitzed you know it's supposed to be more like six or seven yards you know a quick dump off when you see the blitz um on top of that ray he's got the most touchdown passes of any quarterback against the blitz i think it's like 16 his QB rating is number one of any NFL quarterback against the blitz. And I get why, why he is blitz, Ray. I mean, there's still this idea of, can he handle it? You know, he's young. He's not supposed to be a superstar. Teams blitzed him pretty often this year, and he handled it perfectly well. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Because I've watched, obviously, we've all watched him play. I've watched a little closer being a Niners fan. And I, I do think, maybe this isn't fair to him, but I do think a lot of what we're seeing here in these numbers is I'm taking my five-step drop. Here comes the pressure. Hey, Debo, woo, go, run. Hey, CMC, woo, go run. You know, George Kittle wasn't covered on this play. I'm going to drop a ball. I haven't been, and this sounds crazy for a team in the Super Bowl with a quarterback with these numbers, I just haven't been that impressed. Yeah. And you, we've seen it in the playoffs. You know, there have been some bad decisions. There have been some bad throws. Uh, for the most part, it's worked out. Obviously, they're here. The Niners are. Um I don't, so I don't know, and I, I know this is unfair a little bit, but I don't know how much of those numbers are 100% reflective of him versus just the system and the scheme and the players around him. But at the end of the day, whether it's directly him or not, the numbers are, like you're talking about are elite. 
So it will be a huge key because, you know, the Niners want to get everything going this way, you know, get mismatches created with motion and all that. Mm-hmm. And if, if the Chiefs can't get in, right, even with the strength of their defense, they can't get in. How do they stop the Niners? They can slow them down, right? They have to have a good defense. But if they don't get, you know, have this third down or the blitz situation go in their favor, Niners are going to, you know, produce some yards and potentially some points. You know, I'm glad you brought up that idea of, you know, how they like to move guys and get, you know, confuse the defense in effect with, five different guys running different routes and they're lining up on the right, on the left, they're moving in motion, all that stuff. There was an awesome article and you know, it's, it's paywalled and stuff. A friend of mine sent it to me. It was from the wall street journal. Um, yes, they do cover sports. Um, talk, and maybe you saw this Ray or saw reference to it on Twitter or something, but it was referencing how very much so this San Francisco offense, but really every single offense, Kyle Shanahan has run Atlanta, San Francisco, whatever. Mm-hmm is going the opposite of the way the NFL has gone over the last 20 years. And what I mean by that is they come in tight. We've always heard spread the field. Spread the field, yeah. That's what everybody in the NFL has been doing, spread the field. That's what the Chiefs do. That's what the Ravens do, everybody. Kyle Shanahan Ray has shrunk the field, which is not what we hear in 2024. Everybody wants space, right? Mm-hmm. Let your athletes get into space and make the plays. But they like to squeeze it down more than any other team in the NFL. And they've always been that under Kyle Shanahan. Like I said, San Francisco, Atlanta, that's what he wants to do. Hell, it's what uh, his dad, Mike Shanahan, did. Mm-hmm. Now, Mike Shanahan was playing a different era. People did shrink the field. But that that is really unique with San Francisco, Ray. And as we talk about a blitz this week, you know, that this blitz is going to be seeing more bodies than they're used to. Whether those bodies are blocking or not is kind of beside the point. But there's a lot of things going on because you've got a team on offense that squeezes it and you've got a team on defense in Kansas City that likes to bring, you know, six or seven dudes on the blitz at a time. Yeah, think of it if you can see the screen, right? Here here we're spreading the field, right? we got guys all over the place. It's my hand is the example, right? And we go, now think of it like this. You start here Mm -hmm. and then you spread, right? So now then we're getting the movement. And it also changes the angles because if you're wide as an offense, your, your defenders can get really wide and come in at a sharper angle. If it's straight, now you got to bubble out, right? You got because you can't go straight, you're gonna run into someone. So, you know, th- that is something because the Niners, I mean, they've got Trent Williams, but their offensive line has taken some hits. They lost guys in free agency this offseason, they dealt with some injuries this year. Their offensive line, you know, has been good, right? And Ted Schuster was talking about this on the Elite Sports Show the other day. He's like, I don't know how they're I don't know how they did as well as they did because these the pieces mm-hmm. don't necessarily work on their own, but together they figured it out. But it's not necessarily an overwhelming strength like it has been at times for them. And it's 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 scheming, it's coaching, it's quarterback play, it's the yards after the catch. It's all these kind of things that, like you said, they've done a really good job of figuring out the right mix for the, the players they have on their side of the field. If you're Steve Spagnuolo, do you look at those numbers from Purdy and say, oh, we're, we're going to pull back on the blitz? Again, they, they do it the fifth most in the NFL. My opinion, Ray, is you still do it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm one of those people you do what you do. Um, you know, it's like Dan Campbell a couple of weeks ago whenever he went for it on fourth down. You do what you do. You know, I have no problem with Dan Campbell. And people complain, no, you don't do that in the playoffs. You don't do it when it's uh, win or lose or, you know, win or go home kind of things. I, I have no problem with doing what you do all the time. So if I'm if I'm Steve Spagnuolo, Ray, I'm still blitzing this weekend. Well, we were just talking about the Niners do what they do. They figured out what works for them and they do it. Right and stop us. If you're, if I'm agreeing, I'm in agreement with you. You have a good defense on your side of the field. We're going to do what we do, and we're going to make, we're going to impose our will on the opponent. Now, if they first quarter happens and it's 14 points and 172 <laughs> yards, well, then we got to change things up. But I think that you want to play it. You know, you, you don't, and that's that's the fascinating chess part. Like a lot of people look at football and think it's a bunch of big fast guys running into each other. Right? That's the chess game. That it's not just one week of prep. It's two weeks of prep. So they've sat there over and over again, the coaches have, and they've looked at film and film, and they've been struggling with, we think we can do this. We believe we can do this. Should we do this? Right. And it's that, that battle of how do we adjust what we see on film to our group of players? How do we, do we adjust to what we see on film? Do we do what we do and make them adjust to us? I think that chess game is really a fascinating piece and it always is in the Super Bowl. And and to reference what you noted a few minutes ago, Brock Purdy and, sort of living dangerously in, in the postseason. And, Ray, we're all reminded of when has it been bad? When, when's the one moment it's been really bad for Brock Purdy? It was that game against Baltimore. 
I mean, it stands out like sore thumb how awful he was on that Sunday night. Four interceptions. Uh, they didn't move the football at all in the second half. Uh, mistake after mistake. And I can't sit here and say, oh, yeah, all those. I was actually on air doing stuff. So I wasn't watching that game, you know, blow by blow. So I apologize. But of those four picks or any of those other passes that might have been picked, I wonder how many came with a, a Ravens blitz in his face. Like I said, his numbers overall are good. But when you blitz, Ray, you're trying to force quick passes or, um, you know, passes that aren't necessarily thought through well. You know, you're trying to make people speed up their thinking and make a mistake. Mm -hmm. Brock Purdy, to your point, not only the four interception game, but even here in the postseason, has been apt to make that mistake, to make that bad throw. That's another reason if I'm Spagnuolo, I'm, I'm going with the blitz because I've got a guy here who on occasion has been known to throw it into tight spots and not mm -hmm. make it work. I, I want to take advantage of that. They probably did the same thing against Josh Allen, you know, a few weeks back. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a guy who can make a mistake. And when you blitzed against Allen, one fear you always had was, well, the pressure comes, he steps up in the pocket and then beats right. you with his legs. Right. Not that Purdy can't do that. Right. What do you have, 50 yards against Detroit? He had a pretty good rushing game. But you're not as fearful of Purdy doing that like you were Josh Allen. Yeah, he's more in the Patrick Mahomes zone. Like He's athletic and he can move around and he can shift the pocket or run if he needs to. And this is, not, this is like an overblown storyline, so I'm not trying to belabor a point. But Purdy doesn't have elite arm strength. And how far down the list you want to go with his arm strength is up to you. But like the Josh Allen thing, Josh Allen can stuff a ball into a tight window because he can throw the ball harder than anyone. He can zip it in there. Brock Purdy can't zip it in there. So when you're moving around, you know, the, the cross field throws and those kind of things that we've seen Purdy fail to do recently. Like I, there's been multiple plays in the playoffs where he's thrown a ball across the field after he's, you know, moved the shift of the pocket. I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh, whew. Because it's like, you can't be floating balls over the center of the field. If you're going to throw it over the center of the field, you've got to zing it. You don't even want to do it, but you got to zing it. And that's just not his game. And so, yeah, the, the, the getting the player off, getting the receiver off the route, getting the timing messed up, that's a huge part of a defense. And you don't have to get to the quarterback, right? You don't have to, they don't have to have the Chiefs have six sacks to win this football game. Mm -hmm. But if they're causing the Niners to be off schedule with the timing, that can do enough to win them a football game. Um, and this all leads into kind of talking about some of these wagers and over-unders, you know, and, and pass receptions. And, and we could look at this two ways, Ray. You know, we could say the, the pass receptions themselves are yardage. I, I kind of look at this as past receptions, but again, folks, you can obviously play yardage and, and play around with these numbers. But Ray, on the on the San Francisco side, Ayuk, McCaffrey, Samuel, all three of them have their over-under set at four and a half. Now, the odds for each is a little different. I mean, like if you take the over on Debo Samuel for four and a half, it's minus 140. I thought that was a little high. I mean, not, not the four and a half, but the minus 140. Yeah. You know, that that's kind of getting into, oh yeah, there's a certainty, a certainty of this happening. Right. Uh, McCaffrey's minus 135. Ayuk is plus 130, Ray. Yeah. And and if you look at his game by game, he does have some of that where it's like, man, the guy can have seven or eight catches. And then for some reason, he has just two. Overall, the season's been very good for Brandon Ayuk. But even getting to like, you know, like plus 130 to go over four and a half catches on the surface, you'd say, hell yeah, let's do it. Um, you know, we'll have to see if Sneed you know, just shuts down a side of the field and do the Niners kind of avoid with certain players. But at plus 130, I'd be tempting to jump in on that Ayuk over. I do like it, by the way, looking at DraftKings Sportsbook, how they go down with the odd a little bit. The under four and a half catches is not 167 for two thirds, it's 166, <laughs> which is the same for Kittle over the three and a half catches. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I think it's I think it's tough because, you know, on the other side, on the Niners' side, Kyle Shanahan's had two weeks too, right? And we want to get the ball – I think and we've said this before. I, to me, Debo Samuel's the most important guy on the offense, which is crazy because they have Christian McCaffrey. Chris McCaffrey's going to get his 17 carries. He's going to get his four catches, right? It's just going to happen. It's what Debo does that really drives this thing. But if you're Kyle Shanahan, you know the Chiefs want – the Chiefs understand that. So are we going to try to overly involve Kittle, who's been kind of quiet? He's been off and on here down the stretch. We're going to try to overly involve IU. Is it going to be some craziness? We're going to get Jawan Jennings five targets in the game. So I, the, the, I feel uneasy about the Niners going out there and Brock Purdy throwing for 280 yards and two touchdowns. Like I, I struggle a little bit to get to that point, which even looking at these moderate, relatively moderate numbers, to your point, Kyle, I, I don't feel great about him given some of the odds. Oh, did we lose Kyle? Kyle might have frozen. Kyle, Kyle was so enamored 
<laughs> with my discussion about the uh, the odds there with the catches, Kyle, that you just froze. Now you're back. Yeah, I, had, I had a burp there. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. So four and a half on all three of those guys: Ayuk, McCaffrey, um, and Samuel. Kittle's at three and a half. Like if I force you, Ray, to take one of those four, do you say oh, I'll just take Kittle because I only have to get four catches? The other guys, you got to get five, which is not a massive number. But again, from game to game, we've seen one, if not two, of these guys fail to get to five catches. You know, it's it's not necessarily there. And I realize you got to play the odds. Like that that three and a half on on Kittle, the over is minus one sixty six. I keep landing on Ayuk Ray right. as my favorite. The over on four and a half, just because of the plus one thirty I get. If I had to bet straight up, I'd go Debo Samuel. If I had to take the odds, I'd go Ayuk. Because, yeah, I mean, minus 140 to plus 130, it's a big difference. And I'm not the kind of guy like you that's going to go throw, you know, $1,500 on a bet. So if I'm going to throw my 20 bucks on a bet, give me the better odds. 1500 Is that what you said I'd do? I said I'm not going to throw 1500 oh, on a bet. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. You can, right? I could. Um, no, actually, I can't. But <laughs> others can. On, on the Kansas City side, Ray. Mm-hmm. Rice and Kelsey, they're over under six and a half. It's massive. There's no other guy on the Chiefs that's better. Or Pacheco's two and a half. But, Ray, those are big numbers for Rice and Kelsey, are they not? I mean, I, I get it and the importance, and we think they're going to throw. But even Rice, like, I'm seeing that six and a half, and I'm kind of turned off by that with Rice. Kelsey, over six and a half, Ray, is minus 160. I, I think that's a risky bet. I actually like the under for Kelsey of six and a half and getting plus 120 odds there. Yeah, when we, we when you were gone the other day and we had Justin Fenceman and we talked about the tight ends, and I basically said the same thing. I'm like, look, I think for the Chiefs to win this game, seven, eight catches, 85 yards, a touchdown, like they really need Kelsey to do that. Do I feel confident that's going to happen? Eh, you know, there's always the injury factor too, which I think this is another thing we talked about, Justin and I, like, even when you're looking at this numbers, like, you see six and a half, and you're thinking, okay, Kelsey, he's setting playoff records. He's the most mm-hmm. important piece of their their offense. He's definitely come on here down the stretch and into the playoffs. What if he tweaks an ankle and, and you know, they only plays 52% of the snaps this week or something like that? Or what if a ball goes through his hands? Or what if Mahomes has two interceptions? Or what if they turn a ball over? You know, they, they have a, a penalty, a problem, excuse me, on special teams. We all are inclined to go over because it's sexy and fun. Mm-hmm. But six and a half, meaning you need seven catches. That even for Travis Kelsey, Cal, that is a big number to place a bet on. I, well, Ray, I kind of feel like we're giving them the Amon Ross St. Brown treatment or Cooper Cup treatment. And I get it, Kelsey for his career, six and a half is not silly. And lately it's not silly. Mm-hmm. But Ray, there was a whole gap this entire season where that would have been stupid. Really. And and I'm much more apt again with two weeks off and a team knowing, hey, if we stop Travis Kelsey. We have a great shot of winning this game. Mm-hmm. Like a really good shot of winning this game. So I, I like the under a lot more there. And with Rice, I'm a little hesitant to say the guy's good for seven catches in the Super Bowl. You know, as Kelsey has picked up, Rice has pulled back just a bit. I mean, he's still making catches, but the yardage isn't necessarily there. So I don't like either of those overs uh, with Rice or Kelsey. Yeah, well, Warner and Greenlaw are good linebackers, too. Uh, and so I think that might, you know, Kelsey's good at finding the space and all that, but I, those that's that's a challenge. And I think the, the 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 problem with fully going in on Rice is not that we haven't seen him in the second half emerge as their top option, but isn't this no no great catch the touchdown or Justin Watson's yeah. in there or Marcus Valdez can't like this is Andy Reid's <laughs> you know he's good, he's putting something together and that just again makes me a little bit nervous. Not that Rice is going to disappear. But seven catches, it's a big number. This game, and I don't even know what the odds are. Maybe like Noah Gray first touchdown of the game. I mean, this just is, is like irritating that way that it could happen. And I bet he's like plus 1,200 or something. Uh, but that that would be the kind of uh, bet, Ray, that would get me excited. A Noah Gray first touchdown of the game. Yeah, I'm trying to find this as we're talking. Yeah, it's it's there. Are any of score. Here we go. First TD score. Uh, the Niners are favored to have the first score. Where where are the players? Oh, Kyle, I'm in the wrong zone, I guess. I don't know. know. Maybe up there at the top you can see it. Yeah, I'm on first of the game, first to score, but then it's only got the team odds. I don't see any player odds. Oh, there, there's some. There, of there course there's there there There's a player first. Is it there? I don't player know. First. Yeah, there, first. Like, that's one thing is, you know, it's cool to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do a lot of bets and a lot of crazy things, but then you got to find them. First touchdown. Player will score the first touchdown. Here we go. 
That's just the first, but that's only, it's got Ayuk and Kelsey and McCaffrey. It's got to be somewhere, like you said. It's just, I'm, we're not finding it here as we're doing the show. We'll hunt it down as we yeah. go through. Um, so more on the Super Bowl tomorrow. Uh, we, we still got a, a call out to Jeff Manns. Jeff ignored me yesterday. I don't know if he ignored right Well, uh, let's just say the odds are less than 50-50. Man. Oh, man. He okay. was try- he's efforting, as they say. It's not <laughs> from a lack of trying. There are things going on behind the scenes, family things and such. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, okay. but uh, fingers if crossed. We don't have Jeff. We're going to have one of our other experts. I can tell you. That. Okay. Okay. So we might have to start running that down. Yeah. I don't know. No worries. No worries. Um, other things in football. First off, George Kittle, uh, for what it's worth, limited yesterday toe injury. I think he's going to be fine. Sky Moore, Ray, activated off the IR. You got any love for Sky Moore? We're not going to see, I, I doubt we see Jarek McKinnon. Uh, is, is Sky Moore going to be your unheard of and unexpected Super Bowl MVP? <laughs> yeah, if he is, it's, it'll be. I mean, there's been some improbable performances, right? But that would be right at the top of the list, Kyle. So I'm going to say yeah, no. Dex, and that'd be up there. Was it Dexter Jackson? Was that his name with Tampa Bay, the the uh, cornerback that that won the Super Bowl MVP all those years ago? Was that Dexter, right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that that was the Tampa, LA uh, Oakland game. Was it the Oakland Raiders at that point? I think it was. Um, yeah, Dexter Jackson, I think, was, was the name uh, there. MVP. Super and right Bowl, as he was going to Super Bowl 37, you're correct. Yeah, MVP. Never to be heard of again. So maybe we'll get Sky more that way. Uh, but anyway, he's been activated off the IR, so there is a chance that we'll see him. Uh, report today, TJ Hawkinson, um, who, if he were healthy, would be a top three or four tight end. Uh, he's not healthy. ACL, MCL, and uh, Ray, it's early, but already there's the thought that he's maybe not back until October or so. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I, I was able to find Noah Grades plus 5,500 for the first touchdown. Ooh, that's fun, Ray. That's and fun. If you want to get Ray, crazy, uh, Ray Ray McLeod's 11 plus 11,000, and Michael Prerine is plus 12,000. You're right, though, with the Chiefs, Ray. This is a team where you want to get it, like throw five bucks on each of those guys. Right. Blake know? Bell's plus 10,000. Who knows? Yeah. This Andy Reid, man. Andy Reid may do you good. Any of those, spread your bets. You know, five bucks on this guy, 10 on that, 20 on this guy, and come home happy. I, I feel good. Right? That may be where I'm going with uh, my favorite prop bets. One of those unnamed, unknown Chiefs scoring the first touchdown of the game. No touchdown score in the game. What do you think the odds are for that? Plus 75,000. It's only 18,000. I thought it was oh. higher, too. Yeah. yeah. Have yeah. we? But that's either side, right? Yeah. No touchdown score. I mean, remember that snooze fest between the Rams and Patriots a few years back? 13-3, to I think, was the final or something. Mm -hmm. And that was mind-blowing, Ray, because that was supposed to be two offenses that Mm -hmm. would score. That that may go down as one of the more disappointing Super Bowls in the history of Super Bowls. Just not that the game wasn't competitive or close, but it was so unlike what we expected. And maybe Vegas got nervous. That game may still stick in their mind that we can actually have a Super Bowl with with no touchdowns. By the way, I totally ignored your question. What was your question? Uh, Hawkinson. Oh, yeah, Hawkinson. Yeah, yeah, he might lose the first month. Might end up on the pup list or something. That's not shocking given where we're at in the calendar, but it's it's disappointing to hear because he, obviously, since he joined the Vikings two years ago, has been catching seven passes every week. And so that's something to keep a close eye on, especially for those people in keeper leagues. And one other uh, bit of news, Rex Ryan, who has not coached in the NFL in eight years or so. I think 2016 was the last year for Rex Ryan. I think he's uh, floating around. He he helps out ESPN, I know, throughout the weeks. Uh, but uh, Rex Ryan is supposedly up for the Cowboys D coordinator job. So we shall see. But uh, just letting you know that uh, one of the Ryan boys could be back in the NFL, which hey, the NFL is always more fun when Orion is uh, stalking the sidelines. Uh, Done with the football for today. More tomorrow. Uh, Obviously leading up to Super Bowl 58. Uh, Let us get into some baseball all this week. Talking second baseman. And uh, Ray, Thursday is kind of a gap day here when we talk about a position. We try to find something that kind of, you know, has has an appeal to the entire position, uh, a trend, a storyline, whatever it may be within that position. And as I looked at second base for today, it actually starts right at the top. Starts right at the top with Mookie Betts. Uh, This guy who is obviously a Hall of Fame level player, but now you've got Hall of Fame eligibility. And what I mean by that, second base outfield, infield, outfield. That is rare as is, but to get it from a superstar, you know, we've seen it with uh, years ago, Trey Turner. Was it Trey Turner? Did he have that? 
Matt second base, shortstop, shortstop. You know, well, yeah, I'm trying to think who had the infield outfield thing. I mean, Tatis had it recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there was a player also that was on the high end that had the infield outfield thing kind of working for at least a year. And Betts is that guy this season. Um, and it's maybe the best example we've ever had in the last decade or 15 years of a true superstar with that. But Ray, it leads into this entire position. Um, you see Tommy Edmond, you see Gavin Lux, um, Hassan Kim. You can move that guy all over the infield. Um, you know, Brandon Jury has corner and middle. Uh, there was, I mean, Luis Rengifo, uh, second, third, short, outfield. Uh, you go a little deeper here at second base. Uh, Brandon Donovan of the Cardinals, infield, outfield. Jeff McNeil of the Mets, infield, outfield. Um, even a youngster like Jordan Westberg of Baltimore, middle infield and corner, third base and second base. But, Ray, it's all over this position. It's it's a spot where, uh, you know, late in a draft, not late, but middle to late, you can find guys that, in effect, I don't want to say it's a two-for-one player, but it's one-and-a-quarter player for one. You know, these mm-hmm. guys that will help you certainly in daily leagues. Let's talk about a few of, of away from bets. You know, because obviously he's a superstar in his own kind of orbit. Tommy Edmond, let's go with him, Ray, um, all over the place. Now, this year, we think he's going to be mainly in the outfield. That's the plan. But, Ray, this is a guy who not only gives you infield outfield, but also gives you shortstop, second base. The guy played everywhere last year. And although he is not a star, he is quite solid. And with that extra eligibility, you know, I think he should become a – an interest for for many many people out there not as your starting second baseman but man you, you would love to have him as just this guy to shift around in a daily league day in day out because he plays he's always in that lineup Ray despite maybe moving around on the on the defensive side yeah the problem for Edmund is he fooled the Cardinals for a while into putting him toward the top of the order and now they've realized he should be at the bottom of the order so even if he's playing a lot, and we saw this reflected last year, he'd scored 90 runs in two consecutive years, and last year was down to 69. So mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a little bit of a hit, right? Because he he's not a batting average guy, he's not a power guy. He really needs that boost, and it's, he's probably going to be in the bottom third of the order again. So keep that in mind. But to Kyle's point, Tommy Edmonds never never going to be a ceiling guy. He's a floor guy, and when your floor guy is stealing 25 plus bases, he's done each of the last three years, and you know basically being batting average neutral, maybe a little bit better than league average, batting average neutral. And then adding in the flexibility, it's so big because I think that, you know, you hear it now and you like it and it's cool. And maybe you go with Edmund in later rounds or maybe you don't, but the real value is the in season move because, you know, let's say you lose Glaber Torres at second base and you go and you look at the second baseman and they're crap awful on the waiver wire. Well, you mm-hmm. slot Tommy Edmund into second base and then you go to the shortstop position where, Oh my gosh, Willie Adamas is on the waiver wire. Cool. So it allows you to not only manipulate your lineup, a guy like Edmund, on a daily basis to, to make sure you have all your spots covered. It's a huge help when you go to the waiver wire because then you don't have to necessarily focus just on one position. You can look a little bit broader. And I was going to say, Ray, I, I don't want Tommy Edmund as my starting second baseman or shortstop. I don't want that. Um, I want him as a backup there, a guy can move around. What if I said, you know, there comes that point in the draft and I'm in a five-outfielder league and I take him as my fourth outfielder, which would make him a starter there or maybe even fifth outfielder, but he's not a guy I want as an outfielder. I'm really just drafting him because at that spot, I'm using him as my utility guy. He may be my opening day starting outfielder. Hopefully I'll find somebody else later that will come about. But, you know, sometimes people will be scared off or a draft will go in a certain way where they already got their middle infielder. And it's like, well, do I need Tommy Edmund? I probably, because now I got two extra middle infielders. But that idea of, hey, you may not love him as an outfielder, but on draft day, picking him up as an outfielder and then having that ability in season. In, in other words, you don't have to just say, my in- middle infield spot is saved for Tommy Edmond. You know, hey, if a better middle infield pops up in round five, go get that guy. Right. But you can still come back to Edmund and for the time being, pop him into your outfield and then move him around once the season begins. Yeah. And again, I think that the the the, the growing thought with Edmund is that he's kind of just a guy. And you look at his ADP right now at the NFBC since the start of uh, January, it's 166. So, you know, he's in that zone where people are taking him and it's not like you're to your point. If he's my starter here or my starter there and the draft went this way or that way. I don't think he's fallen as low as 232, right? So he's 
he's in that zone where people look at him and they, they love the flexibility and the ability to both in season and at the draft build your team differently if, if the draft goes a certain way. But they also, I think, come, I've come to the realization, like I pointed out, that he's likely to hit at the bottom of the batting order. There's no and there's no upside with Tommy Edmund. Like, is he going to steal 45 bases? Don't see it. Is he going to hit 290? Don't see it. Is he going to hit 20 home runs? Don't see it. So if you can draft him looking basically at the numbers from last season and understand the value in that, if that's where you're starting, I think you're okay. And it's always worth, in my opinion, when you're talking about a guy who qualifies at least three spots, it's always worth bumping the guy around or adding an extra dollar at an auction to have that flexibility. Even if it's not sexy, having that flexibility is really important. You mentioned his ADP in 160s or so. Mm-hmm. And and you also brought up earlier the, the spot in the batting order. If he's at the bottom, Ray, if, and not every day, well, you know, they'll move him. The Cardinals have always moved him around, but you're right. He's not a leadoff hitter. His stats don't show that. But if he's at the lower end of the order, Ray, the likelihood is that at the top of the order is another guy with positional eligibility, another guy with infield, outfield. It's probably Brendan Donovan. Mm-hmm. Now, Brendan Donovan is a hundred and, you know, he's in a 12 team league. He's 10 rounds later than Tommy Edmond. But I might be getting a guy leading off for, for that Cardinals team, or at least, you know, up at the upper end of the order. It's very rare you'd have both Donovan and Edmund at the bottom of the order. It's one or the other. So right. if Edmund is that guy, Ray, Brendan Donovan, again, he fits this discussion, multi-positional eligibility, second base and outfield. You get him so much later, that's a guy that, that may fit better than Tommy Edmund, purely driven off the idea that more plate appearances – getting on base in front of Arenado and Goldschmidt and Contreras, that would lead to better overall numbers than a guy like Tommy Edmund. Yeah, he played – Donovan played 14 games at first base as well and six games oh. at third base. So there's always a chance in season he picks up another spot. We saw him do that in his rookie season too. He moves all over the place. He is a completely different offensive player than Edmund. Uh, you know, you look at their ability to get on base, and like you're saying, you know, we 381 on base percentage for Donovan in two years is really good. And back in the day, we'd want the speedy guy, Edmund, batting leadoff. Now, now in the analytical thought process, do we want a 310 on base percentage? Or do we want a 380 on base percentage. It's huge. It, and it's an easy decision when you it's look an, at it that way. Very easy decision. Yeah. And especially because we can put Edmund down the order. And if he gets caught stealing or whatever, you know, whatever. Donovan's not going to run, right? So the, the way they produce value is different. That makes Donovan much less sexy. Even I just mentioned that Edmund wasn't sexy. Donovan's even less sexy. <laughs> but but if the power stroke he, he showed last year, which was greatly improved upon his first season in the league, his launch angle went from 6 to 11%. So he made a big change there with the swing path. If that sticks and he's hitting 15, 18 home runs, and he's hitting one or two in this lineup and he's scoring 90 runs, now we got something, right? Yeah. It, it, I, and again, I think that Donovan, is he sexy or exciting now? At his ADP, can you draft him with his flexibility and the potential of him batting the up? I think that's okay to do. Let's go to the guy whose image is below Edmund there, Gavin Lux. And uh, Ray's kind of like the Edmund Donovan thing, another Dodger. You get the bets and Lux thing. One major issue we got with Lux is all of those, you know, qualifications you're seeing there, games played, were not last season. He missed the entirety of the year. And Ray, he was injured in spring training. There was a little bit of interest in him. You know, he was a prospect. He had this maneuverability around your fantasy lineup. He was going to be with the Dodgers, like all that. And and then, Ray, it went to Kapui. You know, he he blew up and he was done. First off, again, the eligibility carries over almost everywhere. That that should be the expectation. Uh, But he's not going to be moving around to near this number. We, We think, Ray, we're looking at the everyday shortstop for the L.A. Dodgers, right? That's the, that's the current plan. Now, the Dodgers obviously could make a move. Uh, they've got Miguel Rojas on the bench. They could, you know, maybe Chris Taylor still can play some shortstop if they have to. You know, if something happens and they, and they decide because the way things are going, they're moving Mookie Betts back to the outfield. Okay, so they're they're basically, he should be the starting shortstop, Gavin Lux. There are outs for him, even if things go differently, where he could continuation here of the, of the dual position eligibility. Much like Edmund, though, he's probably at the bottom of the order, right? Yeah. Seven, eight, nine, maybe, you know, maybe he moves up, but probably not. You know, they've got a pretty top-heavy lineup to the Dodgers. And I think that, you know, he really, if we're going to look at him and kind of profile him out, he's a potentially better Brandon Donovan, right? He's more of, obviously more of that kind of a hitter, a guy that can get on base, a guy that's not going to run a lot, a guy with some pop, 
versus a Tommy Edmond type who, whose value is more in his wheels. And and the problem, I guess, with Lux, Ray, and, and this is as I – and it's a little bit unfair to him, but he started his major league career in 2019. And here we are in 2024, five years later. Ray, I still don't really know what he is. I mean, there, there was very little playing time early on. And then he would get a little more of a chance and, oh, wow, he flashed for this week. And then he fell off for two more weeks after that. And then he'd flash for another week and then three weeks. Of quite, like, And then last year, nothing. And, and so this guy, to me, like even Edmund and Donovan, to me, have proven themselves more. Gavin Lux, I, I still don't even know. And again, we're five years into this thing, which is kind of crazy, Ray, and you know, you wonder about rustiness, and if if he struggles, Ray, they will go to Rojas. They will make a trade. I, I don't think they're going to sit there, and if Gavin Lux is batting, you know, 204 on Memorial Day, they're not going to keep rolling him out there. They, they will bring in Rojas or somebody else from their storied minor league system. That's kind of my fear with Lux, and we're just back around to like, oh, he plays every three days, right. once every four days, and that's kind of my fear with him. I I've been reading about the talent and what he can do for years now, but it, it feels like it's just never clicked. And there are certain, he, he has excuses. Hey man, I blew my knee out last year. What'd you expect? But I, I feel like we're expecting more than we have the, the, the right to expect, I guess, from him this season. Well, he's only 26 too, you know, but it, it has been a bumpy path and, you know, we don't have a ton of, playing time here at the big league level. But another concern is you, you look at his work against left-handed pitching and it's bad. His OPS is 587. You know, that's bad. And so then you start worrying about even if he's going well, do the Dodgers platoon him, right? So yeah, Lux is certainly, there are, there's a background, there's a history, there's scouting reports, and there's tons of minor league success. Like it's all there. But can he transition that to 500 plate appearances of goodness at the big league level? I am of the opinion he can do it. Am I going to pay on draft day expecting him to do it? I agree with you. I wouldn't do that. He's in the 260s, 250s right now overall. Ray, I'd rather take Brendan Donovan and and wait 30 picks later, if if that's how the draft's playing out. I'd, I'd rather just wait. Um, neither guy's a guarantee. But right. I think Lux, that, that jersey helps him a lot here. No, Ray. If he's if he had this kind of background on the Twins, nobody's really caring. I don't think. Well, I, and you know, looking at I'm pulling up ADP with you here. I mean, Luis Rangifo, we talked about qualifies at four spots. He's 30 picks earlier. I'd take him two rounds ahead of, of Gavin Lux. You've got Von Grissom, who we talked about. He's you know 20 picks ahead of, of Gavin Lux. I take Von Grissom. So it's you know I will. I'll put it this way. I'm more likely to settle for Gavin Lux. Yeah. Then I'm and to target Gavin Lux. What, what about Rengifo Ray? Mm-hmm. Second, third, short, and outfield. I mean, what? And again, it's that's not a name that many people can say. Oh man, I've watched a dozen at bats of Luis Rengifo. I love how that guy plays. You know, nobody say that about mm-hmm. it. But the Angels, and if you're watching the Angels, you're watching Trout and Otani. You know, that's what you're. <laughs> Rengifo Ray is is totally lost to the shuffle. And this happens every fantasy years of guys like. You see something like, oh, I, I should maybe know more about that guy, but nobody does. So, you know, what is he? Because that's a draft pick where literally half your room right, is going to go, who? Why, why are you taking him there? It is the only, I shouldn't say only, is the biggest argument the, the positional eligibility, or is there more there? I think there's two. Um, and he is in the hitters to target article over at fantasyguru.com. Oh, so there must be um, more, huh? Yeah, well, yes and no, to your point. And I think, you know, the four position eligibility is just massive. It's just massively important. I think one of the other big keys, and even this is not even talking about his necessary acumen with the bat, he qualifies at four spots, and potentially he's hitting first in the lineup. And if you look at the Angels lineup, like, you can create a scenario where he's hitting first with Mike Trout behind him. Yeah, yeah. sign me up. You know, we've seen Cole Calhoun have success there. We've seen Taylor Ward have success there. Not necessarily guys that, oh, my gosh, look at their skill set. You hit in front of Mike Trout, whether you believe in line of protection or not, you're hitting in front of Mike Trout, right? So I think that those two factors, the flexibility and the ability to potentially hit leadoff, is really important. I don't know if Rangifo has, you know, he's kind of in that Tommy Edmond zone in that he doesn't have a standout skill that says, wow, he's going to hit 300 or hit 28 home runs or steal 20 bases. He doesn't have a standout skill. But if he's playing every day, 
and he's at the top of the order and he's got that four position flexibility. I'm in. And and he will be drafted even in almost all mixed leagues, I think, you know, 250, 270 picks. Lower on the list, I just wanted to point this guy out for certain for AL only. Because this, this eligibility thing is even more critical in your league-specific setups. Uh, where, in effect, you are getting two players for the price of one. But, Ray, if you're in an AL only, Zach McKinstry has got to be on your list. Just because he can cover up those weeks where you have your third baseman or a fifth outfielder, whatever it is. But, Ray, he's got the same thing as Rengifo without... I don't want to call it hype. Nobody's hyping Ringifo, mm -hmm. but without the cost of Ringifo. So for mixed leagues, I don't know if McKinstry's on there, but Ray for AL only, that guy's critical. He, if you're in an AL only league, he should be on your list and, and a guy you should target. Yeah. And, you know, second base, third base, outfield shortstop, uh, kind of like Edmund. He's projected to hit in the bottom third of the batting order for a Tigers team that's not overly sexy. So there's that. But that flexibility, yeah, and it totally deserves to be pointed out. If you're in a 10-team mixed league, who cares about Zach McKinstry? If you're in a 12-team mixed league, who cares about Zach McKinstry? 15-team league, I don't think you draft them, but in season you might end up picking them up off the waiver wire. But if you're in an only league, huge, yeah. huge value. So if you're new to AL or NL only leagues, understand that when you – even if you're in a 10-team league, right, it's a smaller league-only setup. When you go to the waiver wire when there's an injury in season, there's nobody there. There's nobody there. And that scenario I, I mentioned earlier where maybe you look at the second base position and there's no one on waivers, but you look at shortstop position and there is, there might be one guy in the AL that's playing every day that's on the waiver wire in your league. Uh -huh. And if that guy's at shortstop and you need a second baseman, what are you going to do? You got Zach McKinstry. You can combat that. You put him over there. You grab the one guy off the waiver. He is a huge play. And it's, again, well worth elevating a round or two in a dollar or two at the offer. Well, another way of thinking it, uh, about it, Ray, is when you draft a guy like McKinstry in those league-only setups, it's like you're drafting extra fab because now you're not having to spin fab whenever your second baseman gets hurt and you go in there and it's like trash. Like you're looking for 11 at-bats. That's what you may be hoping. McKinstry covers up at all these spots. You know, you don't want to – and here's the thing. Even in league-only, you don't want to be stuck, I, I don't feel, with Zach McKinstry for six weeks in your starting lineup. Right. But, man, he's a great insurance policy for two weeks. You know, at, at all these different positions, even middle infield, corner infield, like all of this stuff, um, he can become a critical piece. So always league specific, have that guy in your back pocket. And that that is one of those picks in uh, league only where people do scream and yell. They get, they get pissed off because they thought they were going to be the only guy drafting Zach McKinstry. Uh, more on second baseman tomorrow. We will talk about prospects coming up on Friday as we re uh, wrap up, I guess you would say that position. Uh, Ray, as we go to the uh, Fantasy Guru Baseball Draft Guide, we always like to uh, spotlight an article that is available. And articles are coming out each and every day uh, with that draft guide. And again, you can get it for $40. You see it at the bottom of the screen. Use that promo code FSD20. And what was $50 comes for $40. And it's not just the draft guide. It's the whole season of season long. Got to reiterate that whole season of Ray Flowers at your service. So that's that's worth more than 40 bucks, believe me. Way um, more. Yeah. Way more. Ray would say $4 million. <laughs> um, today, we do a lot of stat discussions over the last couple of weeks. Things that maybe shouldn't be added, things that you can consider adding. Uh, Ray, ABA is the topic today, and it's brought to us by you as a replacement for WIP. So, hey, WIP, man. I remember back in the day, Ray, whenever you'd tell people about WIP, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Nobody <laughs> knew what WIP. You had to be a fantasy baseball player right. to know what WIP was. That was like the cool stat. Like, mm -hmm. this isn't really a stat anybody knows about, but if you're a big baseball fan, WIP. That's, that was the original analytic, Ray. Yep, absolutely. And it was yep. simple. Walks, mm -hmm. hits, divided by Now you're telling me WIP's old-fashioned and we need to go ABA. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, this has been years now. And I think when people see it, they love it. It hasn't caught on, which I'm, maybe I need a PR firm because <laughs> this idea is, this idea is so much better. It's a quanta, it's a, it's a whole factor better than whip. Uh, and, and basically it's the exact same strategy in terms of figuring out the, the computation. You can see it there on the screen. Let's go through it real quickly. You know, whip tells you walks plus hits divided by innings pitch. Whip doesn't tell you at all about the type of hit. If you hit a single, a double, triple home run, it's all the same to whip, right? It's if you and you see the example there. 
Pitcher A allows a hit and a walk in two innings. That's two base runners in two innings. The whip is one. If there's a hit in the first inning and a walk in the second inning, you have a very good chance of having an area of zero. There's no one on base. What if, though, pitcher B allowed a, a hit and a, and, and a walk, so same whip, but the hit was a home run? Then your ERA is at least four and a half. If the walk happened before the home run, your, your ERA is now nine. So average base allowed is very simple. Instead of saying, we're just going to be concerned about hits, we're going to be concerned about total bases allowed because it's much more valuable to know whether it's been a single or a home run because it has a greater impact on the pitcher. It tells you more about how the pitcher is performing, right? And as well, we're going to throw in hit by pitch. And I know Kyle mentioned this in his points league. They have it. Mm-hmm. It's numbers, you know, he has hit seven guys in a course of season. It's not a big number. But if we're talking about pitchers putting guys on base with the walk, why aren't we talking about putting them on base with a hit by pitch? So it's total bases plus walks plus hit by pitch divided by innings pitch. And I, I don't think hitters do not get a total base for an error, do they? Don't they don't get like no. You have okay. to hit it. So Air wouldn't yeah. matter here if an error happens behind a pitcher. You right. don't get you know it's not a total base that that is against him. The other aspect, Ray, is ABA is kind of a two for one stat, kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, right now WHIP and ERA together kind of build this, mm-hmm. but it's two categories. This would a get rid of two categories, add one, and then allow you to add a new fifth. You know, so for people who are really interested in kind of changing up the usual, you know, your typical five by five, and you think, oh, this is a way, Ray, to kind of eliminate two stats and bring an ABA to cover both and then still do other things, you know, with with your statistical categories. Um, Numbers wise, because this is always critical, you know, we talked about this with SWIP. Mm -hmm. What's a good number? We know what a good number is in WHIP, you know, one, two or lower, even one, two, five, but one, two or lower. Do we know what that number is for uh, ABA? Yeah. And it's in the article over fantasyguru.com. It's a big article with charts and tables and history. Uh, and I've tracked this for about a decade now. In fact, I'm looking at, it's a, there's a decade of data in the article. And the league average last year was two. Okay. Year before it was one nine, year before it was one nine eight. So we're basically talking two. Now I have a key in there so that you can read it because the number is different. And I, you could try to normalize this. And here's my thing. I could normalize this. So we multiply ABA by 0.68296784. Yeah. And I, you know, no one understands that. So I'm just keeping it simple. We just need to learn the new classifications. Um, the league average, again, is about two. So obviously you want a number that's, you know, that mark or, or you know, or or smaller. Uh, you know, when you're an elite performer, you're in the one six range. So it's, it's a, you know, it's kind of like whip. Like whip, we have about a three-tenth. Difference, I think, in ABA, yeah. we got about four tenths difference. Is, is there a name? And I know this does probably in the column, so I don't want to spoil it for, mm-hmm. but is there a name out there, Ray, um, that wow, their whip was not bad, but their whip was kind of low, but their ABA was better? I mean, are these things correlated if in effect? If I have a really good whip, do I have a really good ABA? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm guessing in most aspects you do, but there's probably at least a few names that that differ from the norm. There are. And the reason for that is there, there and I've mentioned this too, I'm very upfront about this. There's a weakness to ABA, and that is that ground ball pitchers aren't necessarily favored here, right? Because the ground ball pitcher off, oftentimes gives up a lot of hits, but you know, they're they're the home run guys are a lot of the home run guys are strikeout guys, you know, guys like Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, they give up a bunch of home runs, but they have all these zeros because they're wiping everyone out with strikeouts. So there is a little bit of a they're a little bit of a lean toward the power arms here. Yeah. Um, but I would think that just looking at this quickly, and he's the, the pic- picture up here, it's not that last year um Kota Sengai had a bad whip, it was one, two, two. That's a solid you mentioned it's solid. We'll go with yeah. that. But he's like ninth in ABA. He wasn't hmm. ninth in WHIP. Um, so there are there are players like that through, and again they're highlighted in the art- article. Another guy that grades out pretty well last year, Sandy Alcantara, who's not pitching this year because of injury. He was a disappointment. Uh, in the, and you know, so yeah. And I think the article does a, a, hopefully a good job of pointing out some fellas. Marcus Stroman, another one. So there there are some names there that people can probably pull out when they're when they're looking at the list. Average bases allowed. Uh, Ray Flowers with a write-up on that, amongst many write-ups with uh, kind of uh, newfangled stats or opinions on old stats and why we should get rid of them. Uh, Something you don't get in a lot of draft guides, but uh, Ray does a wonderful job of 
letting you think and letting you, if you're in a league that is uh, progressive and, and looking to, to get better, if you will, or, or to uh, value players more correctly. Some of these things that Ray is uh, writing about certainly can help you do that. In closing, a couple of uh, news and notes items. Uh, for what it is worth, Vlad Jr. won his arbitration, and the two sides were way off. Vlad won in 19.9. Blue Jays were offering 18.1. The arbitrator cannot – he's got to do one or the other. Mm -hmm. And Ray comes out on Vlad's side. That's a big number, almost 20 million bucks in arbitration. I guess that's where we're at in today's day and age. Which means he's going to get 27 million next year, right? Because he's yep. got one more year of arbitration. Uh, the Blue Jays have built a strong core, a nucleus of younger players. They have very strict guidelines when it comes to paying. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Vlad's gone. The way this is going, like we're hearing, they're not even talking about an extension right if, now. If right? their team rate gets off, you know, if it's July and oh man, the Orioles are the Orioles, the Rays are the Rays, the Yankees are bad, you know, if it's bad for the Blue Jays, mm -hmm. here's like trade bait, baby, with a year left on his contract. And, mm -hmm. and that Toronto is probably thinking about that right now. Surely they, I know they don't want to be 15 games out at the All Star break, mm -hmm. but if it were to fall apart, Ray, I mean, that guy is going to be one of the top gets you could have at the trade deadline. Absolutely. And he's 20, he'll be 25 years old next month. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, he, he, he's going to want $350 million, $400 million. That's what he's going to want. And mm -hmm. this is, it's coming, man. And the salary with the arbitration, it's, it's going there anyway, naturally. So that's what he's going to want. It doesn't seem like the Jays at the moment, at least are willing to pay yeah. that. Uh, speaking of paying guys, the Mets, uh, I think it was their GM maybe coming out. David Stern's a new guy, uh, came out today and said, oh, we're not going to probably get a deal done with Pete Alonzo before this year. We'd love to have him. We'd love to extend them. Uh, but, Ray, they're almost kind of just pot committed to the idea of let it go to the offseason. And if he get, it's one of those things, Ray, if you get the free agency, you're gone. I, maybe not. Maybe Alonzo's a New York guy and sticks around. But uh, the Mets, who we've been told, have all kinds of money. You know, that's all we've been told now for the last three years. Uh, seem to be playing a lot of hardball with a guy who hits 45 home runs every year. You know, <laughs> let's, let's give money to all these other clowns. But the guy who's actually done it okay. and has become a fan favorite, he, he's got to prove it to us, I guess. One of the five best power hitters in baseball. We don't need that. <laughs> no. And like you said, people like Pete Alonzo. It's just not yeah. like, you know, some guy who's out at the club punching people in the middle of the night. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean – there's some weird things going on with the Mets. I mean, Adam Ottavino yeah. basically said he waited to go back to the Mets because he wasn't sure what direction they were going to go. It's like, wait, what? I thought your guy. Well, and, and Ray, that's it. like last year. It was all in. Wow, look at the yeah. Mets spending all this money. And now, and I'm not, I don't want to criticize the decision because, you know, sometimes you just spend money, spend money, and it's spending after a lost cause. You know, you're chasing bad money with more bad money. So I get it, but. This was supposed to be, well, who the hell cares? We're committing to being a big spender. And now it's like, ooh, that first year, they they got a real punch in the jaw, and that totally weakened them. Like, yeah. the, the fact that they were like, gung-ho, we're going to do this for decades. We're a spender. We're the Yankees. That's how we're going to spend. And it didn't work out for one year, and now they're reassessing everything. That's that's what's kind of comical about the whole situation. And look at their current starting rotation. Jose Quintana, Luis Severino, Sean Mania, Adrian Hauser. Seriously? <laughs> like, that's not good. Kodai Singa, throw him in yeah, there. Yeah, Kodai Singa. But the rest of these guys, you know, Quintana's 35. Severino, who the hell knows what he's got to offer. Sean Mania, all over the place in performance and role. And Adrian Hauser? Come on, man. So this <laughs> is – where are they spending the money? Even when they're spending it, it's – yeah, the Pete Alonso thing is very weird. Yeah. Unless he, I mean, maybe he just doesn't want to be there. We haven't, I haven't seen a report suggesting that. So I'm. Very I, I guess the arguments, Ray, is, hey man, if I pop another forty-five home runs, I'm worth thirty-five million a year, probably. I mean, he doesn't have the 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 defensive ass. He's not a bad defender or anything. But I guess first basemen are always Ray. It's like, oh, you're just a big oof oof. Right. You know? <laughs> you're not excited yeah, yeah, yeah. like bets right or, or like otani you're not the julio rodriguez racing around you're just an oath so that's how we'll, and maybe that's the remember too second round pick in 2016 he's been with this organization for almost a decade too it's just weird i don't know uh gary sanchez has a home joining milwaukee one year seven million uh milwaukee's retooling i love that deal i mean why the hell not uh mm -hmm. gary sanchez could actually do something I gotta love the DH in the NL. That that gives jobs to guys like Gary Sanchez, and it gives Milwaukee a cheap route. Some he, he was not Ray. He's okay. 
you know, you know, he's, he's never going to be the superstar that everybody wanted him to be, but he's fine. I mean, he, he ended up better than, you know, Joey Bart, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think it's really interesting, the signing, and I get it. It makes sense. It's short term. It's not that expensive. It's a little, I mean, because don't you want to leave the DH spot open for Christian Yelich? I mean, he's had back woes and you want to keep him in the lineup. And so now things get tight because they, they got Wilson Contreras or William Contreras, excuse me. They signed Reese Hoskins, right? Mm-hmm. So now it's like, what what are how much is Gary Sanchez going to play? Is he playing three or four times a week? Yeah. You know, are we out I on Garrett? That's what it is, right? It's three or four times. Yeah. I mean, are they out on Garrett Mitchell in the outfield? Are they just like, well, this guy, I know he's only 25 years old, but he's just not the answer. Like, because they've got Freelich, they've got Churio, they've got Yelich. Like, their outfield seems full. So I think it's a good baseball signing. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, as a second catcher, you know, he, he can play three or four days a week and hit 18 home runs, right? So it's fine. But it's just, you know, a little uneasy if you're looking at some of those young players with the Brewers. Let's uh, pull the curtain down on this edition of Fantasy Sports Daily. Uh, of course, we'll be back tomorrow uh, focusing a lot on the Super Bowl, both uh, the game itself, but also the wagering aspect. I uh, do want to promote that betting guide that is out at fantasyguru.com. Uh, I know a lot of people is like Thursday, in, unless you're like hardcore, you probably, if you're hardcore, you've been placing wagers and stuff for three, four to five days, if not longer. Uh, but for those who just kind of, oh, I get to the weekend and Friday and Saturday, I'm going to look at this stuff and I'm going to go to the, you know, to, to my app or to my local casino and start getting it. You want to have the the wagering guide with you that we produce here at Fantasy Guru. So uh, make sure you, you have that. If you can't get it, you know, as part of your subscription, sign up for it. Uh, was it 20 bucks, Ray? Is that right? Yeah, 20. Yeah, and Jeff Manns was yelling on. He's like, what are we doing? Like he was saying, who's making these price decisions? And, I, you know, there's a little bit of salesmanship there, but it's the same idea. It's. We're, we normally sell the, the Super Bowl betting guide for $19.99. We're giving you seasonal. We're giving you all the wagering. We're giving you DFS, and we're giving you franchise mode. Like, we're giving you months of coverage here for $19.99. So, yeah, absolutely. $19.99, you see it at the bottom of the screen. Okay, that'll do it for us, Ray. Good stuff today. Tomorrow, we're back with uh, football, baseball. Might sneak in a little so- uh, soccer if uh, we can find the time. Uh, but enjoyed it. We'll talk Friday, okay? Looking forward to it, Kyle. Big thanks to everybody out there. Kyle Alfrank here, Ray Flowers over there. This has been Fantasy Sports Daily, powered by FantasyGuru.com.